Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It is Monday, May 31st, 2021. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Bible Study. Well, thanks again for joining us today on this edition of the Defender Bible Study. Uh, On this special Memorial Day edition, we're going to reach back into the archives just a little bit to November 22nd of 2020, when Herbie was at Morning View Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, On this morning, uh, Herbie had as his primary text, Psalm 146. And, uh, and so today we're going to uh, listen along as, uh, as Herbie unpacks the text of Psalm 146 and, and brings us a message um, about how we as the body of Christ manifest the gospel uh, through the care of orphan and vulnerable children. So thanks again for joining us. And without further ado, we're going to turn it over to Herbie. What a distinct privilege it is to be here with you this morning on this Orphan Sunday, a day that we have set aside to look at God's call for all of us to care for the vulnerable, especially the vulnerable child. And and, uh, I'm just humbled by the legacy of faith that you have here at Morning View, not only the way that you have held high the Word of God and preached the Word of God, not only in your midst, but throughout the community and throughout Montgomery but also of the the legacy that you have for the way that you've cared for the vulnerable, the way that you've cared for the orphan and the foster child and the vulnerable family. And I know that so many families in this church have been touched by foster care, have been touched by adoption. Maybe you have seen your own family wrap around a child through foster care or adoption. Maybe it's an extended family, or maybe it's just by the way that you've loved on those who have been called to foster and have been called to adopt. And I know that so many families here in our midst who have experienced adoption and foster care would give testimony of how you have faithfully loved them, how you have journeyed with them in this process, and most importantly, how you've held high the Word of God and the goodness of God and the richness of God in this calling for which He calls us all to. So this morning, as we open up God's Word, if you do have His Word, I would uh, ask you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 146, and that's going to be our, our focal passage this morning. But before you do, and, and Cole did a great job introducing me, uh, I do want to just add a little bit to his introduction. I also have a, a fantastic wife. Her name is Ashley, and she holds the fort down as I travel the world and travel around the country, even though in 2020 that's not quite been as much travel as I've done in the past And then we've been blessed with three children, Caleb, who's 15, Adeline, who's 13. And then for the last several weeks, as I have been able to to travel around our state and preach for Orphan Sunday and National Adoption Month, my little travel mate, Emily, who is 10 on the front row, so blessed that God has given us this family. And they do so much to support the work that the Lord is doing in and through us. And, and Lifeline is a ministry, as Cole said. We want to reach out to families being called to foster. We want to equip families that are called to adopt. 
And ultimately, we also want to see reconciliation to birth families who've lost their children to foster care. And ultimately, we want to manifest this glorious gospel of Christ Jesus to the vulnerable, to the hurting, and to the orphan, and to the widow, and to the vulnerable family. And so we're grateful that the Lord has given us a platform to be able to do this ministry uh, and and to, to hold high the gospel of Christ Jesus. So this morning, as as we look at God's Word, I want us to look at our calling towards gospel-driven justice. And my prayer this morning is that we will ultimately see that the gospel and this call to gospel-driven justice isn't squarely on our shoulders, but it's a command to follow where God leads, and it's a commandment that He will equip us to do well. And as we look at Psalm 146, I want you to know that it's one of the last five psalms in the book of Psalms. And it's actually one of the hallelujah psalms because the refrain that you see, praise the Lord, hallelujah, all of these psalms end with this refrain of praising the Lord. And so as the book of Psalms ends, it's a, it's a refrain for us to say that God is worthy. He's worthy of our worship. And it prods us to worship and it prods us to exalt him and to exalt his name. It shows us that as a child of God that we rejoice because we have a God that is worthy. So I want us to look at Psalm 146 because ultimately I want us to see that all of our acts of justice, all of our acts towards gospel-driven justice are not just commands that are to be lived out, but ultimately they're an act of worship. We worship the Lord by the way that we care for the vulnerable. We worship the Lord by the way that we show the gospel and we manifest this glorious gospel to vulnerable children, to vulnerable families, to foster children, to orphans around the world. We are showing worship to our God. So Psalm 146, this is what the word of the Lord says from the English Standard Version. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord." Beloved, this morning, how glorious is our God in all of his ways and all of his nature. He alone is worthy of receiving the worship in both heaven and earth from the people whom he created in his image. The name of the Lord used here in this psalm is the, is the name Jehovah, which means the almighty God. And so we see through Psalm 146 that there is no other name by which these works can be done but by Almighty God. We see that our Almighty God is powerful and he he hones in on bringing justice, relief, vindication, and help to the vulnerable, the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the fatherless. 
You see, we have a God that seeks the outcast with both compassion, but also with power. This psalm shows us that gospel-driven justice for the poor and the needy is ultimately an act of worship. You see, when we show compassion to the helpless and the destitute, we are showing the world and we're showing our neighbors and we're showing the outcast that we have a God that is worthy. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the opposite of love is indifference. And this morning, we have a God that was not indifferent to us when we were unlovable. But instead, the word of God says that he sought after us while we were yet sinners, while we were estranged from him, while we were orphans, he sought after us with his love. And he sets us on a course to do the same for the vulnerable, to do the same for the outcast, to do the same for the poor, the needy, the stranger, the orphan, and the fatherless. And so I want us to quickly this morning see four ways that compassion and justice are an act of worship. That the way that we actually do ministry and do justice and seek justice is an act of worship. First, we praise the Lord. We show worship to the Lord because we are not the rescuers nor the hope of the vulnerable, the stranger, or the fatherless. You see, the first part of our worship is that we realize that we aren't the hope. Our God is the hope. We are not the rescuers. We are the ones who have been rescued. I love what Watchman Nee, he was a leader of the Chinese church in the 20th century, said. He said, everything in our service for the Lord is dependent upon his blessing. Everything in our service to the Lord is dependent upon his blessing. You see, beloved, as we come together today to talk about caring for the orphan and caring for the foster child and, and looking at God's commands, both in Galatians chapter 3 and 4, as well as James chapter 1, we ultimately see that we are hopeless without the, the power of God. We're hopeless to do anything, to make any difference without the power of the Almighty God going before us. We are dependent upon Him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. I remember when our 15-year-old child was two, and many of you may have this same situation. Our son Caleb, when he was two years old, one of his favorite things to do was to take one of those little plastic mowers and follow me as I would mow the grass. And, and I remember I loved it because whenever it was time to go do the grass, Caleb would look at his mom, Ashley, and say, Mom, it's time for us to go cut the grass. And so I would yank the, the, you know, the cord to get the gas the lawnmower going, and, and Caleb would kind of yank a fake cord on his plastic mower. And I remember as I would go around the yard, and of course, you're cutting the yard when it's hot, and I would wipe my brow. I would look back, and Caleb would be wiping his brow. And I remember every single time, like clockwork, we would go inside after I'd cut the grass, and he'd look up at mom, and he'd say, Mama, didn't daddy and I do a great job on the yard today? And of course, my sweet wife would go, Oh yeah, buddy, it's fantastic. You did a fantastic job. Now, I never went to my son two-year-old Caleb and say, Caleb, buddy, you didn't do a thing, man. You just followed me with a plastic lawnmower. Don't you know that thing doesn't do anything? Like, I did the work, buddy. You were just following me. 
No, as a daddy, I look back and I saw a son who was mimicking his father and I was proud. And I loved him because he wanted to be like his father. Beloved, I want you to see that our acts of justice are just like Caleb with a plastic lawnmower. Our God is the one who gets the glory. Our God is the one who does the work, but he is delighted to have us behind him following in his footsteps. And so when we're called to care for the the poor, when we're called to care for the vulnerable, when we're called to bring children in through foster care or adoption, the truth of the matter is we're just following our God and what he's called us to do, and he will do the work. And so, beloved foster parent or adoptive parent, when it's hard and when it's difficult, I want to remind you that you are just following after God and you're following after his footsteps. Let him do the work. Rely upon him to do the heart change and rely upon him to give you the power and the strength. When there are days that you think you may not be able to make it any further, when there are days when you don't know if you'll be able to take another step, praise be to God that he is the one who is doing the work. And so I want us to see from this passage that we aren't the rescuers, right? It says in verse 3, it reminds us, put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation, So as we do this work, we don't want to put the vulnerable child's hope in us. We want to put the vulnerable child's hope in God. It's foolish to trust in man because man is fallible. But it's wise to trust in God because he is limitless. That's why in verse 5 it says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord Yahweh his God. Why? Because he made the heaven and the earth. He made the sea and is all in them. He keeps faith forever. The psalmist is cautioning us strongly against putting any confidence in man. In a culture that exalts, exalts those on stage, that exalts athletes and leaders and people who have a strong following on social media. Let us be extremely cautious not to place our hope on others or to place our hope on ourselves, but to place our hope on God. I love what Samuel Chadwick, he was an English theologian and a pastor of the 19th century, said. He said this, The church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. The church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy, noisy, enterprising, but it labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible to excel in mechanics and to fail in dynamic. There is a super abundance of machinery. What is wanting in power to run an organization needs no God. Man can supply the energy, the enterprise, and the enthusiasm for things human. But the real work of the church depends upon the power of the Spirit of the living God. Beloved, the only one who is truly worthy of our praise is the Lord. He is immense and he is limitless. We will never truly make a difference in this world for the 153 million orphans, for all the poor and all the vulnerable, if we're not relying upon the power of God. It's foolish to trust in man as well, Because man's time is fleeting, but it's wise to trust in God because he is eternal. I love verse 10. It reminds us, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. You see, the truth of the matter in 2020 has proved it to us. If no other year has, we are fallible. We are fleeting. 
and our life is but a vapor. As life has been put on display, and, and I love even in 2020 through a global pandemic how a country that has, has had blood on our hands has all of a sudden cared so deeply for life. But the truth of the matter is life is fleeting. Life is but a vapor. If we're placing people's hopes in us, we, our time will end. But if we place their trust on God, he is never ending. The vulnerable, the stranger, and the, the orphan and the widow, they all live in darkness. And when we take the light of the hope of the gospel, we can expect and assume that Satan will counterattack. But our God is eternal. God is faithful. He is a refuge and a strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble. I love what Paul David Tripp says, writer of New Morning Mercies and a, and a pastor and speaker. He says, you are tempted to think that because you're God's child, your life should be easier, more predictable, and definitely more comfortable. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Instead, it reveals that struggles are a part of God's plan for you. This means that if you're God's child, you must never allow yourself to think the hard things you are now going through are failures of God's character, promises, power, or plan. You must not allow yourself to think that God has turned his back on you. You must not let yourself to begin to buy into the possibility that God is not as trustworthy as you thought him to be. You must not let yourself do any of these things because when you begin to doubt God's goodness, you quit going to him for help. You see, you don't run to, for help to those characters that you've become to doubt. But God has chosen to let you live in this fallen world because he plans to employ the difficulties of it to continue to complete his work in you. This means that those moments of difficulty are not, are not an interruption of his plan or the failure of his plan. <laughs> but instead, they're the importance of his plan. Beloved, we don't trust in ourselves, but we trust in God. We worship him because we are not the rescuers. We are not the hope of the fatherless. He is, and so we worship him. But that brings us to the second way that we see that we worship God as seen in this passage, and that's we praise the Lord because he executes justice for the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless. Verses 7 through 9, again, it says, He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. We have a God of justice. We have a God who seeks out the vulnerable and the stranger. And we have a God who is the father to the fatherless. Look at who the actor of all the justice is in verses 7 through 9. The Lord. The Lord. He is the one who executes justice. He sets the prisoners free. He loves the righteous. He watches over. He is the actor. He is the one that is the executor. The justice of our God is spellbounding. And this ultimately drives us to worship. As followers, we should cringe when we see injustice. Because it is an utter affront to our king. In Luke chapter 4, and I know you all have been studying through the book of Luke, but in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth and, and he opens up the word of God to Isaiah chapter 61. And he did so because this would have been a familiar and hopeful passage to the people. So he reads from Isaiah 61, the scroll, and then he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your 
you're hearing, and then he sits down. I hear all the cool kids call that a mic drop, right? So he says this, and he drops the mic, and he, he, he walks away, and he sits down. This is what he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There are three specific groups that Jesus mentions that also encapsulates the list that we see in Psalm 146. Those that God executes justice for. The first is the captives. It says that he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You see, it grieves the heart of God when his image bearers are held captive by, by foreign powers or by slave owners or evil governments. It pains the heart of God when men and women are mastered by sin, including the captivity of alcohol, drugs, pornography, perverse sexuality, or gluttony. And beloved, it should grieve our hearts and mourn us when people are, are, are held captive, and it should spur us to action. William Wilberforce, who was the emancipator of the slaves in England in the late 1700s and 1800s, he says this, if to be feelingly alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. Wilberforce understood that he was a crusader to release the captives because that is what his God had done for him. Romans 6, reminds us, but now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have a God that brings liberty to the captives. But then second, we see we have a God that brings healing for the sick and the blind. Jesus is not indifferent to physical disability and disease. There are those in our midst with cancer and pain and incurable disease. There are those like this beloved sister that we prayed for this morning who has fallen and hurt her hip. There are orphans around the world who need to be adopted, who are blind, who are deaf, who have been marked with some type of syndrome. We need to advocate for them passionately. We have a God that is vigilant about healing and the blindness of unbelief as well. Our God heals physical pain, but he also is about healing spiritual pain. Acts 26, 18 says, Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We have a God that brings healing to the sick and the blind. But then third, we see from Luke chapter 4 that Jesus came to bring validation to the oppressed, to set liberty those who are oppressed. Our God is a husband to the widow and a father to the fatherless. He validates those who are marginalized, weak, and oppressed. Our God shows compassion, empathy, and action for those who are powerless and abused. And this includes caring for the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the alien. Yet our God is also about liberating people from the oppression and bondage of sin. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Oh Lord, let, let us be your people who worship you because of the way that you care for the powerless, the way that you care for the captive, the way that you care for the blind and the sick, and the way that you care for those who are oppressed. We praise the Lord because he executes justice for the oppressed. But the third thing we see from Psalm 46 that reminds us to praise the Lord is we praise the Lord because he invites us to participate with him in reflecting his glory to the vulnerable, the stranger, and the fatherless. You see, the call of the Bible of the Christian is to participate in caring with God for his gospel-driven justice. And this call and this command is inescapable. The Old Testament is full of commands to care for the oppressed, to, to care for the vulnerable, to care for the, the stranger, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. God beckons his people to respond to those who are oppressed. We read this morning, James 1.27, that, that religion that God sees as, as pure and undefiled is to care for the orphan and the widow. Those who in society would have been the most marginalized. Those without support. Those who are powerless. And right in the middle of Psalm 146, in verses 7 through 9 that we just read, you see all of these that God is working righteousness, or who God is, is working justice for. And then right there in verse 8, it says, The Lord loves the righteous. So he's, he's talking about all of those who are oppressed, all of those who are hungry, prisoners, the blind, those who are bowed down, the sojourner, the orphan, the widow. And then he says, the Lord loves the righteous, right in the middle of the list. It's almost like it's an invitation, a beckoning, that God's reminding us, hey, I've called you according to my name and according to my purpose, that you would join with me in these acts of gospel-driven justice. I love what Kay Arthur says of Precept Ministries. She says, we are to live in such a way as to give all of creation a correct opinion or estimate of who God really is. We are called to participate with the Lord. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So beloved, this morning we are called to join the work of the Lord in bringing liberty to the captives, healing to the sick and blind, and bringing validation to the orphan, the widow, and the alien. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61. And then, after doing that, the people come up, and they don't like the words that Jesus has spoken. Actually, Luke's gospel tells us that they come and, and they, they, they seek to stone him. They seek to throw him off of the hill. And God, Jesus, was able to, to escape. The truth of the matter is, people don't like the words of justice. People will push back on the call of gospel-driven justice. But our God has asked us to participate. Our God has asked us to obey. My kids, after dinner and, and all throughout the day, have different chores that they do and our after-dinner chores are, you know, someone does the dishes and someone wipes all the surfaces and someone, you know, sweeps the floor. 
And I, I don't know why, but in our home, and, and maybe it's different in your home, the dishes are a popular thing. People actually, our kids are like competing on who gets to do the dishes. The one that they love the most is, is wiping down the surfaces, but no one in our home likes to sweep. And I don't know what it is about sweeping, but they just don't like to sweep. And I remember when, when Caleb was young, and he's always been a little bit of our, our one that kind of uses his brain and wit to try to get out of things. You know, he one time, because daddy is known to, I'm a little type A, a little OCD, so when I come home and things are out of their place, I start putting them in their place. And uh, I'm the guy that when I come back from a trip, I have to unpack everything before I can go to bed. So I'm telling you, I, I've come back from China in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. And my wife is like, please go to bed. I'm like, I got to unpack. I got to put everything in its place. And so I'm known to sweep when nobody else will sweep. And I remember one time, it was Caleb's time to do the sweeping. And he goes, Dad, you know, I'm supposed to sweep, but man, you're just so good at it. And I like the way you do it. And I mean, just that you, it's so effortlessly. Can, can I just watch you do it and learn better how to do it? I wanted to, I stuck the broom in him. I said, kid, go, go sweep the floor, right? The truth of the matter is at times that's what we're like with God. We read God's word and we're like, God, your, your word is beautiful. I love this passage in, in Psalm 146, how you just execute all of this, this justice. Can I just watch you do it? But the truth of the matter is those commands that we believe are the ones that we obey. We show that we obey God by the way that, that, we, that we do those acts, that we, we participate with him. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And he says, we don't have a shortage today on the teaching of the word, but we have a shortage of application and mobilization. You see, Psalm 146 invites us to participate with our God. And that is an act of worship. But fourth and lastly, Compassion and justice are an act of worship. And so we praise the Lord because his gospel is the power of salvation to the vulnerable, the stranger, the fatherless in the world. Psalm 146.10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. There is life in no other name but the God of Jacob. There's grace in no other name but Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we go and do justice, we do it ultimately to show the gospel of Christ Jesus. We do it to, to put a taste of the gospel on the lips of those that are perishing so that they too one day, Lord willing, may partake in the warm, wonderful, matchless grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. The reason that we do justice is to show the gospel of Christ Jesus. The Jews in Luke chapter 4 were just looking for a national leader. They were looking for someone who would make Israel great again. That's all they really cared about. But Jesus was coming to say, I'm coming to make a world radically different than what you have thought. Jesus came to save sinners, no matter their race, their origin, their ethnicity, or their background. He was building a colorful, multi-ethnic kingdom for his glory. And as we read in Galatians chapter 4 this morning, adoption was never plan B for God. It was always plan A. To adopt a multi-ethnic, multi-racial kingdom for his glory. And beloved, this is good news for us. 
Because this gospel is not a Jewish gospel. It's not an American gospel. It's not an Indian or Asian gospel. It's not a European gospel, but it is a worldwide gospel. And this is why we go into all nations to make the kingdom known. And this is why we care for orphans and widows by manifesting the gospel of the kingdom. So that in turn, when we invest in the vulnerable, when we invest in the vulnerable family or the vulnerable child, We won't just change their zip code or their physical address. We're not just looking to to alleviate physical poverty. But our prayer and our hope is that they would come to know the matchless name of Christ Jesus. And then in turn, they would go and make disciples of all nations. Our aim and the reason that we glorify and worship the Lord is so that his gospel would be made known. Praise be to God. Orphan Sunday is not just about sending us out to do more justice. Orphan Sunday is a call to make the gospel of Jesus Christ made real in the lives of the vulnerable. Orphan Sunday is a call to the Great Commission to go, therefore, and to make disciples of all nations, of all people, no matter who they are and no matter where they've been. So quickly, four quick points of application This is how today we can join the Father to the fatherless. First, pray. Pray knowing that the Father is the true hope. We must be stirred to pray to the Father of the fatherless on behalf of the orphan and the vulnerable child. Every night before my kids go to bed, if I'm in town, I say a prayer over them. I pray over my children. We we pray together. There have been times I have come home and had a little bit of jet lag and told my kids goodnight and walked out of the room and Invariably, one of them will say, Dad, you going to pray? Every night I pray over my children, Lord willing. I pray for them. I pray for their salvation. I pray for them to know the Lord. I pray for them to, to come to an abundant knowledge of Him. And one night, I remember my son Caleb, I'm picking on him a lot today. He said, Dad, he said, we should adopt children around the world because they don't have anyone to pray over them at night. And it got me thinking, who's praying for the vulnerable children of the world? Who's praying that the the God, the Father of the fatherless, the God of all gods, the almighty God would help them and support them? Let's change the way that we pray. Let's pray for vulnerable children. Let's pray for orphans around the world. The second way that we can join the father to the fatherless is to give up our time, our talents, and our treasure to the work that the Lord is doing. Some of you may be called to foster care. Some of you may be called to adoption. But you know what? We're all called to participate. And maybe this means using our businesses a little bit different. Maybe this means using our sphere of influence a little bit different. Maybe this means taking a meal to a family that's fostering. Maybe this means caring for, in a different way, families together. We're all called to use our time and our talents and our treasure in the work that the Lord is doing. He's built a miraculous body. He's put a tapestry together. He's weaving this for his glory. So let's participate. Then third, we speak out for the voiceless and we serve wholeheartedly the cause of gospel-driven justice around us. What are our closest relationships look like? Who are we spending our time with? Are we, are we in little bubbles that are safe and secure? Or are we risking it all for the sake of the gospel? Even with a mask on, we can get out in the community 
And we can care in a way that makes the gospel known. And then lastly, we're called to go to all nations to spread the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, Paul says this, Working together with him then, we appeal you, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Beloved, it says, behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We live in a time of great grace and patience. God is withholding his judgment and offering such sweet mercy for our rebellious hearts. But beloved, this day of salvation will not last forever, but will only last for the time that the Father has appointed. When the day of salvation is over, then the day of vengeance will arrive. So beloved, there is urgency to preach the gospel and to proclaim the kingdom to those who are perishing. There is urgency to manifest the glorious gospel to vulnerable children and to orphans and to widows. Let this passage of Psalm 146 wash over us that there is hope for his grace. But let this passage also hearken us that now is the time to preach the good news to those who are perishing. And so as our father's children, we know that we have been given a task. We've been given a great commission. We have future family members who have yet to hear the glorious gospel of Christ Jesus. And so we go. We go into all nations. We go into all neighborhoods. We go into all communities, preaching the glorious gospel of our God. He is worthy. He is good. Praise the name of of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this morning. We thank you that you have invited us in to participate with you. Oh, what glorious grace that while we were yet sinners, while we were estranged, while we were orphaned, while we were afar, that you came not to make us slaves, to make us sons, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so, Lord, now as your children, we look to imitate our Father. And as we see in Psalm 146, our Father is about taking his glory to the nations. Our Father is about showing uh, care for the oppressed and, and for freeing the captive and for caring for those who are sick. And so, Lord, may we go emulating you to this neighborhood, emulating you to this city, emulating you to our state, showing your grace to our nation and utterly going to the uttermost parts of the earth, spreading your fame and your glory. So Lord, as your children on this Orphan Sunday, would you prick our hearts for what breaks your heart? Would you send us out from this place and commission us for the work that you've called us to do. And may your gospel and may your glory always be the attitude of our hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in your matchless name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Mm-hmm.